0: Course you yeah. know, It's me your host, Jerron Rose. We're gonna start off with of course deck of the by John Burr yeah.
1: and then we get to uh. the models. I'm back, back, better than ever, the king has arisen, you'll never could never Falling off, that is a never. Put in so much work, that can't measure the effort. But look at me now, made more from the lesser. Silent, I never fold under pressure. Ugh, eating Hannibal Lecter, milking it. Boy, I was great for the cheddar. They say they want real, that's to shade in the desert. So take it or love it or hate it, whatever. I'm reaping the fruits of my labor, tasting the nectar, getting this paper together. Turning my pain into pleasure, flame like Jamaican eye pepper. Mine is a mid-jot stepper. I'm trying to get to the money, but that ain't my greatest endeavor. When it rained, I don't pray for good weather. When it got cold, I said thanks for the sweater. I never said I'm a shooter, I'm more like an Uber. I'm to take it wherever, man, leave me alone. The king is on his throne and I'm waving my scepter. Got him trying to figure out how it happened like the bone collector. They stiff as a board and light as a feather. I show all my craft to make him remember. I got a gift like it's late in December. The circle is small and ain't taking new members. You never been through no struggle. Depend on your people to bubble. Working with minimal muscle. And I got a critical hustle, critical hustle, critical hustle. They do whatever they told to, I do whatever I want to. Used to be down to split the bag, now I'm so low when I come through. I got a critical hustle. Critical. 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 They do whatever they told to. I do whatever I want to. Used to be down to split the bag. Now I'm so low when I come through.
0: Individuals like yourselves that are listening here to be able to say okay, I'm not the I'm only not one that feels this way I'm not the only one, one that is trying to do something and Sometimes you run into roadblocks It happens, but as we discussed before your concern is never Really what you can't do it's
1: getting to a place where you can say you did it good looking
0: take a listen to this podcast you know been sporadic with the delivery of the podcast I know I know and I know it's frustrating but I like to have good content I like to have good reason I like to record a lot and figure out what to to give you what to serve you there so this podcast today is going to be a part one of two uh, because I had a lovely and wonderful long conversation um, with uh, the gentleman that I interviewed for the podcast. So I wanted to say the reason why I was able to get this, this gentleman was because I went to a work-related event. Um, it was a panel that that one of the VPs at my job was on, and we were lucky, lucky to be able to host uh, the, said, the said panel. And it was about user experience and um, actually women in user experience there. So it was it was great. One, because you get perspective. And I do recommend that anyone who works at a company that allows them to just have these different experiences and different introductions. I am the least technical person that I know, which is great because I keep a lot of technical people around me. And I'm mean, just shorten it down to tech because they come in all sizes, shapes, forms, and experiences but i went to this panel and it was it was interesting because you get to see people that you see on a regular basis and see them show their expertise and that is always a great great experience in itself but on the panel there was a gentleman who for all points of purposes didn't seem like he was a tech person directly. Uh, he was actually a finance guy, a financial planner to be to be exact. And what made what made it interesting in in watching his delivery is that he had a very straightforward approach. The thing about when you meet anyone with a very straightforward approach is people don't know how to take it. the information because they spend so much time I'll say being coddled. Uh, but he gave a very real, real direct impression, you know, and for some it may have seemed brash, for some it may have seemed, uh, impolite, I guess, I don't know, but the thing that I can say that was awesome about it was in his words, I could tell that he cared about what he was talking about. And he cared about creating opportunity. Of course, he, I mean, we all go into situations where we're looking for what we can get out of it. And uh, as you'll learn, if you take a look at his company, that, you know, they do they do function kind of in, in the tech space there. So he was probably in his own way looking to recruit. I don't know. But I genuinely found his approach, very similar to a lot of people that I've come into contact with, that they're not going to hand anything to you, but if they find value or they find a reason, that they'll give you a little bit of time. They'll give you a little bit of information. They'll they'll spend some time. They'll give up their time to you. And I truly found that that was what ended up happening for me. I mean, not that I serve any value <laughs> to, to him, but... Just in the conversations that I've had with him, he's one of the few people that I've talked to and we've had a conversation where he took the information that I had and basically broke it down to say, hey, just letting you know, that's going the wrong way. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed it from a standpoint of he's already set a present point with me where I know he's given information whether you can take it or leave it. But, hey, just trying to save you some time. And I find myself in a lot of those conversations when I talk to um, music artists or I talk to people that are kind of in that beginning aspect of the entrepreneur or just looking for steps. So even for me, as I look for steps, I try and find people that are past where I am so that I'm able to learn and see where they, what direction they've gone in. And so you'll get in this interview, you'll get a little bit of his history, a little bit of of what he's about. And I'll start off by saying that the name of his company is Alpha. That's O-W-L-F-A. I tell you when we interview his name, but I want to make sure that I clarify the name of his company. And hopefully you check it out, but it is financial planning. And it, it really... It's something that we all should think about at whatever level. Uh, I have certain things that I want to kind of introduce later on in life, I guess, to say. is the easiest way to say it. But I just think it's really cool when you can run into people who are of the same mindset and get the idea and have backgrounds that are very similar to yours, you know. So I'll say this now. His name is Lee Mayfield, and the company, again, is Alpha o-w-l-f-a and you can go to alpha.com and this is part one of the interview and we'll do part two later well we'll do part two next sunday i was gonna say later this week but i want you guys to get time to to listen and enjoy here it comes lee mayfield alpha Welcome, everybody, to the Critical Hustle Podcast. I am the magnificent host, Jeron Rose. I change my adjective every time I start this, so this is like the 50th time. But I am sitting here with <laughs> the HM. See, I have to, you, let me say this first before I go there. I have to be careful, again, how I say this, because it comes in my mind only one way. I'm yeah. adding extra <laughs> letters, and I'm doing different things, and I'm like, okay, wait. Yeah. So the H-M-F-I-C, that pause there was so I could get the right letters in my mind together. But the H-M-F-I-C, M-F is my favorite cuss word. <laughs> it's a good one. Lee Mayfield of Alpha. You know, I keep wanting to say, is it fi- is this is Alpha? Or? It's just Alpha. It really?
2: There's just no? Alpha. Oh,
0: well, then good. It's just Alpha. No. <laughs> Lee Mayfield of Alpha and... You know what, I want to let him explain who and what he does. I can tell you why I want him to be here, and I'm going to tell it without telling you what he does, because that makes it more fun. Okay. I saw him sit on a panel that had nothing to do with him directly, but it was like watching a sports agent in front of a bunch of first round draft picks have to make a choice, and they not understand the game that they're actually getting ready to go to. (laughs) It was amazing. I got to see characters come out of people who, I like body language, so I got to watch people's body language, his body language, the people on the panel's body language, and the fact that, see, he didn't even know this, because the look that he's giving me now is like, really? But I was like, people just were kind of like, I don't know, they were like, I feel like he has something I want, but I don't know. Uh,
2: Ah, yes, the story of my high school years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But this is Lee Mayfield of Alpha, and I'm gonna keep saying it because it's a beautiful spelling, it's O-W-L-F-A. Yeah. So, let's start there. What is Alpha?
2: Okay, so Alpha is the, an open door financial advisory shop, and what we do is we've created processes and all that other stuff, I can get all nerdy on you, But basically we created a company where somebody can come to us at any stage in life, whether they're a business owner with, a, with three kids and six businesses, or somebody just starting out in life and get advice pure advice without having to invest with us. Um, and so that's what Alpha is. It's it's the open door financial advisor shop. Was, you don't have to invest with us to actually get a plan from us. And I thought that was it was important to separate planning from investment management so people could get access.
0: That's great. So here's the cool part. Now that I've gotten to play of what Alpha is, now I can dig a little bit deeper into Lee Mayfield All and right. why. I brought him to the Critical Hustle podcast. Um, So now that he's explained that, what I watched Lee do, or this is what he's known as, this is how he was introduced, a master negotiator. (laughs) I had no idea what that meant in the fact that I was at a user experience panel. I was like, well, I don't know what we negotiate. Okay, but he's here and he's probably more in line of what I want to know. He was the principal, the principal partner? Uh, Principal, yeah. Principal, yeah, yeah, because he doesn't like the word CEO. Like, I don't like the word CEO. So I like HMF. I see. See, see, I said, yeah, my bad. HMF, I see. HMF, I I see. That's what I learned in the Army. (laughs) um, Really, the thing that that I liked about Lee as he was explaining things to to the audience was he was very direct and it was very genuine. And the thing that you look for... In people that I interview, whether um, in previous interviews, is they're genuine people who made definite choices about their life at different places to where I feel that the listener can make those changes, the changes that I go through now. Because also, prior to this, I did have lunch with him and he proceeded to blow up my whole, <laughs> my whole, I see most people say he, he blew my mind. My mind wasn't blown. My plans were blown, and that's fine, (laughs) because if you're going the wrong direction, sometimes you want to say, okay, before I get to the wall,
2: somebody want to tell me I'm going the wrong way, and... Is that a light or a train at the end of the tunnel?
0: Uh, I think it was light of the train, (laughs) (laughs) and I just decided, let me just lean against the wall, real lean, and let that train fly by, and let's go back and continue on the path. Right. But, Lee, explain your background for the
2: people. Sure. Um, So... Uh, <laughs> I just remember your your face when I I, I I asked him like four questions and he was like oh damn I see it all the time sorry it's just, it was fun yeah uh, <laughs> the <this is, this
0: laughs> question always how you bounce back from from the, the damn yeah I was like, all right cool Let's move
2: on. <laughs> yeah so um so I'm a I'm a financial advisor and you know unlike most terms uh, that doesn't mean anything uh, so I started out as a lawyer. Before I was a lawyer, I was a bartender, and before I was a bartender, I was a sergeant in the army. And before all that, I grew up in a household with a lot of financial instability. And when I, when I say financial instability, that's just a code word for we were homeless, we were always broke, uh, you know, just poor, it's poor, poor folks. Um, and when you grow up poor, uh, you make a decision at some point. If you're lucky enough to make the decision, you say, all right, I don't want to live like this when I'm... And then you make another choice, and you say, I don't want other people to have to live like this because the difference between success and failure is really a low bar. It's just until you clear that bar the first time, you don't know how low that bar is Um, because everybody's struggle feels insurmountable. Um, And so I started off um, going all the way back there, like, learning. Uh, I said, okay, how can I avoid, you know, Living paycheck to paycheck. How can I avoid um, being homeless? How can I avoid? That's, that's a weird question to ask when you're 15. But how can I avoid this happening? Um, and it, and it, you know, I found some different paths. But really, I just I just kept learning and kind of stumbled my way to success. Um, but yeah, that's who I am. Um, but I'm sorry, I lost the train of thought. See, sorry. The cool
0: <laughs> part is you, you paraphrased it really well. So now I have to be with my dad Rather. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you, so going back a little bit, and mm. uh, you say, you know, basically at certain points you were homeless there. and there Yeah, when I was a kid. What do you think was the catalyst at that point? I know you said you make a decision, but is there something that where you said, this is where I have to make a change?
2: Yeah. Um, actually, I remember, it was in fifth grade, we had moved now. This was the fifth straight year that we had moved during a school year. And my bro- my older brother and I sat my parents down, and I was, I don't know, 10, my brother was 12. And we're like, we're done. This is ridiculous. Can we just stop moving? Um, and that was, and our parents actually say to this day that uh, that was a moment that they were like, okay, we need to put down roots. And my parents basically, um, they're not rooted people. They're, they're, my mom's a hippie and my dad's a Vietnam vet, so. You know, they're, you know, living their life their way. And so that's the first instance I can think of where, you know, put my foot in the ground and said, okay, this is where I'm going to make my stand. Uh, and that sounds weird, but it was, okay, this is ridiculous. Let's stop doing the bad things. And let's just give us a chance to have friends for more than six months at a time. And we ended up staying in, in Austin from fifth grade on. Uh, my parents and I live in. New my sister still lives in Austin. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've had the same friends since that fifth grade year. Like, um, like some of my good, closest friends are the friends I made the first week of fifth grade. Um, and and that's just because we stayed. Um, uh, and, and what, how that carries over is there's always a point where you make a decision. About, okay, uh, I don't know exactly what I'm going to change. But I know what I'm going to stop this and so helping my—it it sounds weird, but you know, you're 12 and you're 10. You don't really have much agency. But being able to sit our parents down and be like, "We need to stop this." That was what my parents needed at that time because they never had right. that somebody say, "Stop it," in a way that you know um, emotionally resonated with them. Um, yeah. Is that true? Uh,
0: yeah. No. That I mean, that is the beginning. You know, right. and and I say that because jumping back to now part of in in our conversation there is really the same thing you said to me I mean just in sitting there it's kind of like okay stop like not and I'm a firm believer in sometimes when you hear people say things they say it to you in a way that you could. some people get emotional there but I'm like okay this person has no reason to tell me to stop there's not like he's like yeah that's a good idea stop it But, but you know it wasn't there so I find that you get weird messages at weird times from things that you didn't plan for. I had no plan to be at well, I had a plan to be at the event that I had met you at. Yeah. But had no idea that you would be there or anything there. So certain things just they happen the way they're supposed to happen to put you on a path. And I always believe in there's a path to success. So I I laugh because you said 10. I tell the story, and I just just high jumping and stuff. So right I'm, no, it's okay.
2: I'm discursive as well.
0: <laughs> it's funny to say this, but I tell everybody I've known who I was since I was like seven. And they're like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "No. Anybody that's known me knows that probably from about eight, my personality has pretty much been the same. But at seven, I decided I was never getting a whooping again. And people were like, "Why?" And I was like, "Because my dad asked me to do something." I, no, quick version about me here. So I was notorious for socks anywhere. I could put a sock anywhere and never find it again. I don't, I was a human washing machine. So
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I finally developed a system of tired of getting in trouble, put my socks in my shoe, therefore they'll always be in the same place. Come home, can't find my sock, can't find my shoe. My dad tells me, he lets me run around. It had to be two hours. In my seven year old mind, I was two hours running around. Mm-hmm. He got tired of watching it and decides, okay, you know, you know you're in trouble you know you're gonna get a whipping. These are all things I knew because the frantic me was running around for two hours looking for a sock. And he tells me, he's like, all right, pull your pants down, lay down on the bed. And I was like, wait, I'm a man. Like in my mind, like whatever being a man is to a seven year old, it just felt like that's when I became a man. Cause I was like, I don't agree with this. I don't have a lot of choice, but I feel like my manhood is being taken from me right now. And I did it cause at seven, this is what you do. Now people yeah. listening think this is child abuse. Feel how you feel. But I took, I put my pants down, lay down on the bed because it would have been so much worse had I not. Yeah, you're <laughs>
2: pointing at it. You're always pointing.
0: And yeah, there was an arrow that I had. And shining. Your hand gets hit, and you're like, that's not what I was pointing at. <laughs> and so I got the whipping. But I remember, I remember thinking to myself, like, from this point on, I am not getting the whipping. Like, just no. There's not. This is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So as I lived the rest of my life. I always weighed whatever I was about to do by the possibility of what the result of that action could be. If I felt like, you know what, this is going to do something to me that I don't want to have done and cause me to be in a position I don't want to be in,
2: right. I'm good. <laughs> so that's, there's a, the, the investment strategy you're talking about there is uh, cutting off your tail risk, uh, limiting your downside exposure. There's different ways of saying it. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a solid way of doing things. It's worked so far. <laughs> it's, it, no, it is. Uh, um, it's it's actually you know it's almost it's usually the best way. Um, there's a really good author um, who I'm a big fan of uh, who talks about any any decision you're making that runs the risk of ruin of blowing you up is not a strategy. Um, it, it's it's a hope. And so um, yeah, no, it's, that's how I'm analogizing. But, yeah, but is that, I mean, it sounded more intelligent coming from you. I was just trying to get, <laughs> I was trying to keep I to get the ass <laughs> with it. Uh, to be honest <laughs> with you, that's, just, that's really no, I, I mean, I see what you did there, but you <laughs> went a little bit far. I just didn't want to get hit in the ass. Um, no, but uh, yeah, uh, it's just the mental model I use. So,
0: oh, no, um, oh, and and you, you bring up mental models,
2: right? Um, so mental models. Um, there's this. So everybody knows Warren Buffett, right? Of course, right. Who's his business partner?
0: Nobody knows. It's, it's
2: Hathaway, I guess. I don't know. Berkshire.
0: We don't know. I tell <laughs> you now. I can
2: clear it. Do you know me. what Berkshire Hathaway was? No. It was a textile mill. And because it was a textile mill, and they bought it, and they kept losing money at it, um, Warren Buffett expanded it and started investing in insurance and Coca-Cola, American Express, all these other companies. Um, but Warren Buffett has a business partner, and his name is Charlie Munger, uh, and Charlie Munger might be one of the smartest people that's ever lived that nobody knows about, um, because he's the most curmudgeonly, um, smart-ass person I think you could ever, ever describe. Yeah, if you could describe a smart-ass, it'd be him. He's like five foot four, giant Coke bottle glasses, and he's hilarious. I have a shot. Pardon me. Um, so Charlie Munger, and I love Charlie Munger's uh, sayings, but Charlie Munger talks about mental models and mental models are the way we make decisions, right? Like if you ever if you ever burn your hand on a stove, you know, you keep your hand back. So in the future, you don't ever lean up against the stove until you check the it's hot, right? Mm-hmm. If you're ever at somebody's house party, and you, I guarantee anybody at a house party who's been in a kitchen at somebody else's house, you go to lean up against the oven, the first thing you do is you check if the oven is hot. I guarantee it. Why? Because once when you were a kid, you touched a hot oven, and you're like, nope, not going to do that again. That's a mental model. Um, and I'm using hand gestures, and he's laughing at me. But <laughs> um, and so Charlie Munger um, talks about these mental models and how they apply to our day-to-day life. Um, and it's been a huge inspiration to me over the last... Ten years or so since I, I became exposed to them. Of how do you actually see the decisions that people are making? How can you track back the decisions? Usually, like, oh, you know, you know, in retrospect, we always can explain our actions. Like, well, you know, I was sitting there, and then I said I wanted a, a nice cold drink, so I got up, and then I went to the fridge, and I got a Coke, and I poured it in a glass, and I drank the glass. That's I wanted a, something cold. Uh, that's a that's that's not actually what you were thinking. Uh, you were watching a commercial about Coca-Cola, you're like, ooh, that looks like it'll taste good. You don't want a cold drink, you just want something that tastes good. Um, and Charlie Munger, you know, breaks down, he has some speeches that are fantastic. Um, these mental models that people do, and he has a great expression, people are not rational, we are rationalizing. Um, we, we don't make decisions on purpose all the time, because that's exhausting to actually make a decision every day about everything that you're going to do to weigh all the consequences use pretty good, you know, you can explain how you did it rationally after the fact. But usually you're like, I know if I don't put my socks up, I'm going to get a butt weapon. So I'm just going to put my socks up. Right. You know, it's not actually a rational, today I will leave my sock on the mm-hmm. stairs. And then father will not see this. Therefore, I will not get an ass woman Unless he comes this way. No, you're like, I'm just going to not leave my socks on the stairs. And it is rational. But really your explanation is rationalizing me. Right. And so, sorry, that was a long-winded...
0: No, event. no, no. I learned a new person that I have to go look up now. Oh, I uh, highly recommend it.
2: The other rich guy is what we were referring the to. The other rich like, guy. <laughs> like... WB2? <laughs> he's number three. Uh, He's, you it. know, he actually, he was successful without uh, Warren Buffett and they decided to become partners. Warren Buffett bought out his company. Um, so Warren Buffett has a lot more money than him because he has a larger share, but... You know they basically operate independent of one another, but uh, yeah, and it's just really interesting. If you ever watch the Warren Buffett, um, Yahoo does this now, where they'll stream the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting. It's usually in early I April. April or May. So where yeah, they're supposed to go, uh, you can watch it, and uh, you know the other guy on stage is Charlie Munger, and he's just as good as Warren Buffett in my mind. Like yeah. probably smarter. Uh,
0: well, that's the funny thing. I mean, just for the reason why the podcast exists for me, is there's a whole world that exists that if your only introduction to it is what's shown to you, oh, yeah. that you never really see any other side of. It. You're like, it's called hey,
2: surface knowledge.
0: Yeah, and it's ninety five percent of the information that people function off of. Yeah,
2: and now <laughs> uh, it and, is. And that was just a random statistic. Thank you, everybody. I, it sound really professional but. I always say 90% of everything is crap right it's yeah, that's it's, fair your explanations I mean everybody very few people do the reading to understand things like like when somebody tells you dinosaurs had feathers why do you believe that see I, I
0: don't know. here's the view for me <laughs> like I'm the wrong
2: person because I was like well first do I even care and then second okay like it's it's, it's Right, I it's picture. that okay mechanism. <laughs> okay, dinosaurs have feathers, uh, housing always goes up. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't go broke taking a profit. These these are little heuristics, these little things that people tell you, and you just assume they're true. Um, but you don't actually know if they're true. Uh, and there's a difference between knowing of something and knowing how something works. Sure. Um, and actually Munger's a big proponent of this. He's like, look, I don't enable my. I'm not allowed to have an opinion until I can destroy my opinion, and until I can go across the table and take their opinion and destroy my opinion. I, you have to do a lot of work to have an honest opinion about stuff. Hunger talks about this. The surface level things that you just brought up. I mean, I think that's a it's it's an interesting thing, way of you know um, making decisions. Is how much surface knowledge am I? What do I actually know? What do I know? And what do I not know? And you don't know until you start digging. And the interesting part about that is, do you know enough to question that you don't know? It? Mm-hmm. I mean... Have you have you done the work to have an opinion? Is what I always say to my, my, my juniors.
0: Hey, See,
2: I look at it from the standpoint of, they have to get to the juniors to be able to get to that question. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we have... Um, we, we run a... Tr- we actually... We run a training program, and it's really interesting to watch people as they go through it because they automatically, most financial services are based on sales. Like let's go go, call every all 40 family members that you have, talk to all your friends, tell them what you're doing. thats I mean, that's how every major bank and insurance company works because they're farming your Rolodex for sales. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do rather than that. I want you to sit down and learn how to ask questions. And in order to ask a question, the first thing you have to do is know what to ask about. Right? And that's the step that everybody skips. Like they, they say, oh, you know, we'll tell them about how like eight, nine, ten 10% over here. No, that's nonsense. Because you know? investing is just one part of somebody's financial future. Um, and so the first thing I do is I say, all right, start reading here's the 27 30 books that i need you to get through the next year and just go home and do homework and when you're not on the phone or you're not in a meeting learning how to do the actual task of the day-to-day job i want you reading and i want you to come back to me with questions from every book Now i have an idea of what, when in each book what questions they should be asking me the, the difficult concepts and that allows that allows me to measure their progress um But it's really interesting. The first six months, I tell them you're going to be 10 times better than you are today, six months from now. And then in two years, you're going to be 10 times better than that guy. So you're at 1% right now. You're not even at 1% um, because I make them dick. Um, I make everybody dick. It's just our approach. The approach that I've laid out is let's actually be good at what we do. Random theory. (laughs) um, Let's be good at what we do, but good in a way that allows us to actually ask the questions that I got from Charlie Lundgren. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a a chart behind me that I'm explaining (laughs) all this to. So, it it makes a lot more sense when you see it. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: definitely. So, I want to go back, but a little bit forward. So, we went back to 10-year-old you. Yes, backward forward. Always twirling.
2: Twirling. you ever see that? Simpsons, the treehouse of horror about the election. It's like from 1996. and then you have Kang and Kronos, the two aliens, Okay. We must go forward, not yeah. backwards. Upwards, not forwards. And always twirling, twirling, twirling. I remember. I visualize it, but I couldn't be. Like, I, I quote know. that. That's the one episode of The Simpsons <laughs> I've quoted for twenty years. Sorry. Oh, right. well, well, you did a good job, actually. <laughs> in my mind,
0: when you said 96 I was like, okay. I was playing football. And, Bob and, Bill Clinton. <laughs> so, I was I was seventeen, and it's, I was a seventeen-year-old boy playing football and growing up in LA and Compton. So pretty much my life was surrounded by gangster rap. And, Not uh, The Simpsons? Sports. That wasn't
2: your thing? No. Simpsons election e- episode? No? Saturday night? Yeah. yeah, you know what? I might have
0: watched them, but I probably was on the phone talking to somebody about something, trying to do something else. Right.
2: <laughs> but, yeah. um... Always what? trying to twirl, twirl, twirl.
0: Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Listen, I can't do uh, Friday night, after the game. <laughs> but, things were done. Uh, things were said. Things were happening. We had fun, right. uh, but so you, you grew up in Austin basically at that point. From,
2: yeah, from ten, from 10 on, from ten on,
0: and once you got settled and you started looking, I mean, I can't say from ten, so let's go about fourteen, fifteen. Instead from seven. Well, well <laughs> but I can
2: tell you from at that point, I just decided I
0: wasn't going to get beat anymore, and then it became. <laughs> just enjoying the life of a 7 year I, no, I,
2: I, I wish I could tell you I had some brilliant origin story that at 10, I, I knew what I was going to do. Um, the only thing I knew I wanted to do was I always wanted to be in the Army. Uh, my dad had been in the Army. Um, I, I, I grew up reading war books and war novels, and military history, and all that stuff you read when you want to grow up and be a hero one day. Um, but, you know, I was far from settled. school, barely paying attention, uh, showing up for tests, um, skipping school a lot, um, and then you know, dropped out, and then went into an accelerated program and graduated high school, so I'm not off to a good start at, at, at 17, uh, but I did that accelerated program so I get a degree and go into the Army, and so I went into the Army, and I spent six years in the Army, and I wish I could tell you I was a really good soldier and did everything right, and I, I was actually terrible. Being a soldier as well. Um, <laughs> my first three years in the Army, uh, I was consistently and constantly in trouble. I was always, always in trouble um, because I couldn't stop being a smartass. And I had this sergeant, uh, and I won't say his name, oh man, I, I, I swear, knowing now what I, I, what I didn't know then, he must have hated me. Because I would show up and I would do my job and that was it and then the rest of the time I would do my job and it didn't take me that long to do so I would just spend the rest of the time just cracking jokes <laughs> and I would get in trouble constantly and like uh we actually talked right before I left the military three years later and I, uh, sometime in 2001 I decided I was going to become a sergeant but, you know, I deserved it because you know I really wanted to be a sergeant and I did not deserve it like the slightest um but the Army is great because it has a blind grading system to become a sergeant. You have to get, have a good PT score, you have to have a certain amount of credit for college, you get correspondence courses, and then like your awards all count, and then there's this thing called the board, right? So I go and I said, all right, I'm gonna try out. And if you say, I wanna try and get promoted, they can't stop you. They can't, it, unless there's some discipline issue, they can't stop you. I never, I always did enough to be in trouble, but never enough nice. to get punished right. officially, it's right? And so, I go to the board, and the board is a series of questions, and they ask you all these things about your job. Like, how would you describe it, an, an M16 rifle? It's a lightweight, gas-operated, air-cooled, shoulder-fired, 5.56-millimeter weapon, right? Um, and I don't remember the rest of it, but that's I remember that much, you know, 20 years later. Uh, 15 years later. I'm um, not that old. Uh, <laughs> and um, I go to the board, and I... I I, I bombed it. Like, like, I didn't bomb it. I actually got all the answers right. But I smirked the entire way through. And it was just it was incredibly disrespectful. So I had I a very poor force which should have been enough to sink me. However, the Army was desperate for men at that time, and I had enough. I had taken 60 hours of college by you know, doing tests mm-hmm. that, that got me over the bare minimum to get promoted. And So I got promoted at the earliest possible day to get promoted the sergeant which is 36 months and my boss could not understand how i could possibly have been promoted he's like how did you get promoted i said hey you said you weren't going to help me get promoted so i decided to go around you and he looked at me he's like you don't understand it's going to not be great you're not going to like it so i get yeah i go and i go to pldc and uh you do this you have to it's to learn how to become a sergeant and everybody's deathly serious and i'm like oh ho 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 ho, ho, ho. And so, uh, I, I just I always go for the most awkward humor possible in any situation I'm in. And so it comes to be my day to do PT, physical training. And so you got to picture this: there's 400 soldiers out there. We're broken out by platoon, so there's like 40 guys in my platoon, 30 guys in my platoon, minimum and women in my platoon. Um, and it's my day to give PT, and everybody else is. You always want to do a run day, because all you had to do is do cadence. like – Hup two, hup two, all that stuff. And instead, I got calisthenics day, which is circuit training. Uh, If anybody knows what I'm talking about, uh, it's just you go and you run around, you make people go through a circuit of exercises push ups, pull ups, you know, dips, all this other stuff. And you can't really, you know, motivate people. You can either stand over and yell, uh, but, you know, what's that going to do? Because I'm not a very persuasive yeller. I'm like, yeah. Work harder, you know. Uh, So I decided I was going to run it like I was Richard Simmons. And so there's me, there's 30 people, it's rainy, it's muddy. And I started running Richard Simmons. And I totally went with the Richard Simmons voice. And I totally pumped everybody up. And everyone was laughing so hard, but I was working them into the ground. I was breaking them because I was pretty in shape at the time. And everybody's laughing so hard that they don't realize that they don't have to sit-ups because they're, they're laughing. And so I go and I get done with the, the physical training. And the sergeant pulls me aside and he goes, okay, um, that was hilarious. Uh, but how would you rate everybody's effort? Well, they do a survey. After that and everybody said the next day, oh, my God, I'm so sore because I've never worked out so hard because I would, I would, you know, I would just drop into ridiculous places. Um get promoted, I go back, I, I, I get through the, the class, I go back to get promoted, and it's a Tuesday, and I'm like, this is going to be awesome, I'm going to do my promotion, and I had a four day weekend, after a three day weekend, they gave me Monday off, I come back to work on uh, a Tuesday morning, 9am Eastern, and it's September 11th, and so I, I'm upstairs, and I'm typing up a leave form, because I was I was getting reassigned to Korea, and uh, I was going to take my vacation, and go to my cousin's wedding, and a few other things. And I'm listening, and, you know, Tom Joyner morning show shows show on, and I'm like, oh, what was that? That sounded bad. Turn it up. He's like, we don't know what's going on, blah, 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 Yeah, You towers are falling. So. You're in the Army. That's like, oh, oh, that sounds important. So I walk downstairs, and I tell my commander, I'm like, hey, I think we need to postpone the thing. You need to come upstairs real quick. And it wasn't our our actual company commander was out of town. He was on vacation. So this was our, the, the XO. I pull him upstairs, and he said, listen to then we knew it was on. And from that moment on, up until that very moment on the day that I got promoted to E5, the Army was just something I was doing. And then after that, it became the most important thing in my life um, for the next three years until I got out. And it, I, I can't describe to you the difference between a peacetime and, and a wartime Army. Now, most guys in the Army today have only ever served in a wartime Army. A peacetime Army is a trip, And you kind of just do whatever, like I for a 21-year-old guy, um, wartime army is different, it's just you, just, you just, everything is about the mission, you just grind, and you grind, and you grind, and you work your your ass off to constantly be ready, and, uh, yeah, that's a really long-winded explanation explaining, like, having seen that, like, being a huge joker, and then going from being a huge joker to being given responsibility for people at 21, um, Seeing the the depth of that responsibility really changed me. Um, It's uh, it's it's the weirdest uh, coincidence in the world that I got promoted on September 11th. Um, But like for everybody else, the world changed that day. For me, like my job actually changed that day, and my whole worldview of responsibility and like not being a joker. um, Now I'm still a joker, as you (laughs) can describe. Um, you can't, you can't, you know, stop being a smartass. But the way I approach things changed markedly that day. Um, yeah, sorry, that's I don't, I didn't have a point. I just thought that was a good story. <laughs> no, it really, it really <laughs> was. I mean, because it, it bridges it bridges a level of understanding, at least in my opinion. Because oh yeah, I was trying to explain how I went from being like a, 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 a nobody moron in school to being like a serious person.
0: Well, not even even that. I mean, you you glazed over the the intelligence part of your your school experience. Yeah. But, I mean, just looking at it from a standpoint of at 10, you know, we're going to just take what we know so far. We take 10 and say, you know what, we're kind of tired of moving. Like, you know, you you have a 10-year-old adult moment is what I call it.
2: You know, yeah, a, I basically jumped from 10 to 28. It was great. And then, and then you go, and you're like, all right, cool. I go in the Army, and I actually had less responsibility in the Army than when I was living at home. So when I was 16, I got a job, and I was working a full-time job and going to high school. And I didn't have time for extracurriculars, so that bombed my ability to go to college. Um, or at least a good college at the time. Because um, I knew I was going to go in the Army, so I didn't care. Um, but then I got to the army, and I suddenly had no responsibility. I just had to do what people told me to, which I hated because I was like, "Why would you tell me to do something like that?" Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 we did glaze over my teenage years, but it wasn't—it didn't get better. We just stayed. One, it was bad in the same place. That was all it was. Uh, yeah. But yeah, going in the army, I kind of felt freedom to just be a goofball because rather than having to go work forty hours to go food and go to school and meet all those expectations. I just had to show up Monday through Friday, work out, turn some wrenches on a helicopter and go home and play Madden, rage quit from time to time, because somebody just kept running the same play, which I think is the rudest thing in the world when somebody plays Madden with you. Like do something other than that one play action class. Pass, please, please. Um you know uh, uh, that's that's what you know, I've never actually publicly them like, and this is the story of me. Well, uh, but yeah, no.
0: I mean, I think, because here's, here's my view on people when they do podcasts or an they interview. They get so caught up in, so this is where you're at, this is what you're doing. And I'm kind of like, you had to get there. Yeah. And sometimes how you get there is more reason on why you are where you are. And people have to find themselves. Like for me, I used to read a lot of biographies. Like, When people ask me, what do you read? I was like, I read biographies. And they would ask me why. And I'd say, because I have these thoughts about myself, or these experiences, and there's literally no one to go talk to, or no one to sit there and say, hey, does this make sense? So, you find, like, okay, I like this. So, let me read about, I think one of my favorite ones is, I read Quincy Jones, biography. And just... Knowing that when he was 15, 16 years old, he just decided, like, this is who I am, and this is what I feel, and this is it. So it doesn't
2: feel weird to feel that way. Do um, you think that's true? No. 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 I think I think biographies are dangerous when they're written by yourself. Ooh, let me say this. Because I have a best friend. Well, one of my best friends. I'm going to say his name because he
0: cares. He doesn't care. Throw him under the bus. Right. Well, this is not even throwing him under the bus. His name is Jason. We were 13-year-olds as freshmen in high school. He tells me, and I couldn't understand it. He's like, look, with the most serious face you can have at 13, and you shouldn't be having these little conversations. I'm going to meet my wife in high school. I'm going to graduate and become a longshoreman. My grandfather's a longshoreman. My dad's a longshoreman. I want to be a longshoreman. He's 13. I'm like... I don't know what a long Sherman is. I don't know how you know you're going to meet your wife in high school. Like, I don't know how you figured he's in himself. a union household is what that is. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I guess. Because I'm sitting there. My mom is a postal worker. My dad was a truck driver. And I'm like, I don't want either one of those things. And so I'm like, okay, you know, it's okay. He meets his uh, wife at the time. Well, not at the time, but he meets they, Who they would become his wife. United yes. United. <laughs> at 16, well, right after he like. At 16, he meets her. At 18, they get married. No, he, he had to get into the long term first. He got into the long term. Okay. Probably within a year. Port of Long Beach? Port of Long Beach. Of course. They get married. They buy their first house. Like, I mean, all these things are happening.
2: In he did what he wanted. Right. And... I mean, that's an awesome thing. It's But it's so... I never had that. I wasn't even remotely close. I never had anything close to that moment.
0: But I was always so confused Because on one hand... It's Jason, certainty. I'm sorry to say this this way. I was like... How can he shoot so low? Like, like you want to meet your? Oh, own. that's not fair. But that, but this is who I was at thirteen. This is what I'm saying. Oh, like, at thirteen. At 13, yeah. Not now. I'm yeah. like at thirteen.
2: I'm like, that's what you want? Like, I'm thinking, I want to go to college. I want, to, like. I can honestly tell you one of the reasons I became a, a helicopter repairer in the army is I couldn't change a tire I had no mechanical aptitude. I still don't actually. Uh, even after being a mechanic for six years, um, I just, you know go through phases where um, part of the time you're like oh you know that guy's like ah, uh, you know he's just just he's just a, he's just, a, he's just a um but the truth is everybody has some sort of weird super skill right whether they're a forklift driver or a hedge fund operator doing algorithmic trading processes there's always something and we often discount the trades because they're not intellectual one of my favorite philosophers is a guy named Eric Hoffman he was in the 1950s and he was a longshoreman in Oakland and uh you know he talks about this but we, we denigrate the trades um because the mentality of trades is like you know by 55 their bodies are broken they drink every night they argue with their wives loudly they scream Stella on the side of the road <laughs> um the truth is, having worked in finance, law, and um, on a flight deck, there's no difference between people at any of those levels. Right. It's just the pursuit is the aim is different. Um, the compensation is definitely different. Um, there's a there was a every I think every guy goes through this if you go into the more the more intellectual uh, parts of life, uh, which I can say that. struggle with how you feel about you know, the trades. Um, having been in the trades and then gone over to uh, the reason I went to law school is I never wanted to get my hands so dirty from metal grease. Metal grease is when two pieces of metal rub together with oil present and then it, you get sh- metal shavings mixed in with grimy oil and it gets on your fingernails and it just your fingernails turn black because it's you're always black. You know, it's, it's like war paint. Uh, but it gets on everything. It's so gross. Um, I just never wanted to have another day when I was covered in metal grease. That's why I said, all right, I'm going to be, do literally anything else. Um, but you struggle with, you know, how do you deal with the trades? And I know there was a phase of my life, like, how can somebody aim so low that all they want to do is, you know, turn a wrench? And then I met guys who that was their calling. And, and as much as I love to talk about books and, and or whatever, whatever political thing it is, or whatever problem to solve for my clients today, as much as I love that, you know, there are guys turning wrenches and Jiffy Lube who just want to tell you about how to turn this valve just so, so you can get it off in five seconds instead of half an hour, and just everybody dives deep in a very own different pool, right? There. Well, so, let,
0: let me say this, because i
2: sure like I threw got 300 questions left in here. What? No, no, we're running we're backing over him now. Well, yeah, well I'm gonna pick him up, put him in the those field. bumps were Jason. I'm gonna take him to the hospital.
0: <laughs> but the, the thing that I would the thing that I would say about that was what made it great was he he did that, but he's literally probably one of the smartest people I know. And I always was once we got older, you know, mm-hmm. probably like sixteen. <laughs> yeah, older, yeah, really old. Right. I mean After you'd seen a few Right, years. you know yeah. I well I became envious of the fact of having that much awareness Certainly. of where you are and where you want to go. Because to me, as, it, as I look at this something that would close the world down, it really opens the world up because you're like, he wasn't worried about this, 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 and this. So while I'm sitting there thinking, man, I want to make sure I look this way today and do this because I'm trying to get to this. Girl know, and try he and had this. his overalls so he was like, I'm good. And then when we graduated, I'm sitting there like, I don't know. How to go to college? Where I want to go to college? What I want to do? He calls me. This is my favorite part of this story. He calls me at six in the morning, fresh out of high school, maybe
2: six months. That's rude, by the way. Six in the morning, fresh out of high school. Well, this is what he calls me for.
0: All right. He says they're giving the application for Longshoreman. I'm about to go down there. You want to go? I say, nah, I'm cool. All right. A year and a half later, Jason. I'm sorry if my numbers are wrong, and I'm sorry for putting this out there, but you're a Longshoreman. Everybody knows. He's buying his first house, he's making like a hundred grand. Yeah. And I am like enrolled at Orange Coast College in music business, trying to figure out what
2: I'm gonna do with this. Realizing that slowly the music business is not very high margin um, area, unless you own the label.
0: Realizing that, <laughs> when I go back to mistakes, I would be like, I don't think I made a mistake, but I was like, if I could say my first real or wrong adult decision, was probably not going, but I also realized that had I done that, I probably would have made some choices that would not have been in my best interest. And it works out how it has to work out.
2: One, but, of, my, one of my best friends, say that, so I never knew what I wanted to do until I was probably about 32. Yeah, 32 was when I said, I want to be a financial advisor. Um, one of my good friends, in 1998, graduated from high school. I go into the Army, and he goes New Works to the Railroad. 1999, a year after high school, he's buying his first house. And I've always looked up to him. Actually, uh, he's one of the he, he, was a, he was a national merit scholar. Not that that means anything, but he's one of the smartest guys I ever met. Um, and you know, it's it, this is a really interesting thing. When I was at UT, I, I went to the army. and I came back to Austin to go to the University of Texas, and I was dating this girl. feel great about yourself, because why wouldn't you, um, we go to a party, and I said, I'm going to invite and I'm going to invite my buddy, and so I my buddy, and he and I are cracking jokes, and we're great, and then I realized that people were looking at him, because he, he came from work, he, he had some grease on his elbows, or whatever, and they were treating him poorly, and that was when I realized, oh, oh people can't just see people for people, they got to see labels. Um, but anyways, he's just been, it, it's been, a, it's been an interesting thing. Um, you said, oh, I gotta worry about how I look. I never had that in my life, actually. That's the best part of the I army mean, You always knew what you are going to wear. <laughs> gotta be what everybody else wore. Um, I, was, I, I always I had the sloppiest uniform, I think. And I used to always get in trouble. Makeup, like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm wearing <laughs> the same pants as you. He's like, yeah, but they're not, they're not ironed with a crease. I'm like, yeah, they're kind of combat fatigue. So why would you iron combat fatigues seems kind of unnecessary um yeah no then I would start doing push-ups uh anyways long story short um, you know coming from a blue collar background into a white collar world has been, it's been eye-opening because I still see it that's that same I'm not gonna say derision because people will always it's sort of like what people always say to veterans like oh thank you for your therapist I really respect your therapist um um don't think for my service. Like, I got paid. It was a good job. I, I loved it. It was a great time. It gave me opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, I mean, don't disrespect my service, but right. don't, don't, don't don't say that thank you for your service allows you to vote against, like, you know, the GI Bill, which I see, I see that a lot. Um, but I, I think people struggle with how to bridge that blue-collar, white-collar divide. In fact, you know, one of the reasons... Turn this back to business, and I'm not trying to. Well, actually, that. I was about to because you brought up I wanted to go. To uh, one of the things I wanted to make certain of is that blue collar people could get access to actual financial advice, not like, hey, what's going to happen if your wife dies tomorrow? Or what, what's going to happen if you die tomorrow? What's going to happen to your wife? Which is selling my fear, which we had a conversation about before we started this. Right. I wanted people to get access because concepts aren't so difficult. Um, it's just there's a wall of actually so that I could have clients like my good friend who works in the railroad and makes a lot of money and, you know, has never had a worry of money worth in his life. Um, but then called me and was like, what do I do with, what's a 401k? Right. But I wanted to be able to ha- deal with clients like that, not just like, oh, hey, sir, so tell me about your business. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, I guess you should, should know you're gonna have to vacation in saint bart's instead of paris this year right
0: anyways um. so openly i have to ask what do you guys think i mean lee is definitely a very very interesting person um one of the main things that i wanted you to to get is that like i said that's part one of this two-part podcast is i wanted to kind of give you a base i know we kind of jumped all over the place and jason you know you're my brother so i hope that uh my talking about that experience was not embarrassing or i don't get a phone call or threat but some of the things that i wanted you to begin to see about lee and his character is that backgrounds are very You kind of—I guess the best way to say is—really, you design your path, and things will come along your way that that help shape you and grow you, and just being aware, you know, being aware, being in the moment to make the changes that you need to make. As as he talked about being in the military and being promoted, um, the day of 9/11 you know, and how how things change immediately, just you know, being being that kid and saying, Hey, you know, give me a shot, give me a chance. One of the things that that I found or that I find to be true in most scenarios is that when you when you've seen the bottom of something, or I'm gonna say the bottom, but when you've seen a low, you begin to really understand how to get to the true highs. How to how to not have fear? How to move through life, according, and realizing when you're winning or when you've won, that it allows you to push yourself to the to the next place. Um, I don't mean for anyone to to think, oh, well, I don't I don't need this kind of information because truthfully, we haven't even got to the information yet. Uh, from a from like I said from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I try and give you guys every possible aspect, give you people that you can find a way to relate to, find a way to to enhance, enhance what you do. One of the things that I think he said in this segment that was truly important is understanding that that guy at Jiffy Lou, that might be his world, and he may be the greatest person to ever change oil. I mean, that just could be it. But it's, it's realizing that individuals have value in learning something from them. Take, take those interactions very importantly. Get When you take an Uber, I am the master of the get in an Uber and talk to the person in Uber. I took an Uber in New Orleans and found a guy who was doing 4X. <laughs> so I had a whole conversation with him about 4X. Uh, you just never know. But that's part one of this podcast. Uh, with Lee Mayfield of Alpha, O W L F A, and that's O W L F A dot com. Definitely check out his website. Check out his company. Secondly, um, the other thing that I would mention is definitely take a look at criticalhustle.com and follow us on all social media. Critical Hustle, uh, Twitter, Critical Hustle on Instagram, and just come join the movement and join join the life see you guys next week and of course I'm going to leave you with some more John Black have a good one
1: yeah Than ever, the king has arisen. You'll never connaissa before the north. That is a never. Put in so much work they can't measure the effort. But look at me now, made more from the lesser. Solid, I never fold under pressure. Eating Hannibal Lecter, milking it. Boy, I was great for the cheddar. They say they want real, the shade in the desert. So take it or love it or hate it, whatever. I'm reaping the fruits of my labor, tasting the nectar, getting this paper together, turning my pain into pleasure. Flame like making not pepper. Mine is a mid-jot stepper. I'm trying to get to the money, but that ain't my greatest endeavor. When it rained, I don't pray for good weather. When it got cold, I said thanks for the sweat. I never said I'm a shooter, I'm more like an Uber, I'm down to take it wherever Man, leave me alone, the king is on his throne, and I'm waving my scepter Got him trying to figure out how it happened, like the bone collector They stiff as a board and light as a feather, I show all my craft to make him remember I got a gift like it's laying in December, the circle is small and ain't taking new members You never been through no struggle, depend on your people to bubble Working with minimal muscle, and I got a critical, 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 critical hustle Yeah. They do whatever they told to, I do whatever I want to. Used to be down to split the bag, now I'm so low when I come through. I got a critical hustle, critical. I got a critical hustle. Critical. I got a critical hustle. Critical. I got a critical hustle. Critical. They do whatever they told to. I do whatever I want to. Used to be down to split the bag. Now I'm so low when I come through. Come
0: through. Help help individuals like yourselves. They're listening here. To be able to say, okay, I'm not the only one that feels this way, I'm not the only one that is trying to do something, and sometimes you run into the roadblocks, it happens, but as we discussed before, your concern is never really what you can't do, it's getting to
1: a place where you can say you did it. Good looking.